Welcome to the Rapid Change Matters podcast. My name is Howard Cooper, and for over 14 years now, I've been fascinated with helping people to create personal change quickly. But I still come across many who believe that lasting personal change has to take a long time, consisting of reliving traumas or deep psychological analysis, or simply that flawed notion that understanding why you have a problem will somehow make it go away. I'm on a mission to get people who work therapeutically with others to shift their thinking and realize that these beliefs are not written in stone. Rapid change can happen. So, to help you open up to what's possible, I'm interviewing top therapists and agents of change who are out there getting real results with real people really quickly. Before we get to the interview, I just wanted to let you know that I've written a quick-to-read, downloadable PDF on five strategies to amplify your client's response, with some great tips on getting your therapeutic suggestions to really sizzle. You can download this for free from rapidchange.works, where you can also find all the information about this episode and episodes still to come. Now, over to the interview. Now, as many of my listeners know, most of the podcasts are recorded via Skype, but today it's a pleasure to be actually sitting here face-to-face with today's guest, Christine Black. Christine is the lead consultant at the Wellbeing Portal. She's a qualified health professional as well as cognitive hypnotherapist and NLP master practitioner. She's highly experienced in making personal and professional change happen and doing it quickly. I've known Christine personally for a number of years now and always been incredibly impressed by her intuitive approach and her ability to find the correct piece to change. Something I'm keen to explore with her today. Welcome to the podcast, Christine. Hello. Hello. Well, it's great to have you here, uh, or I should say to be here with you. Um, But just wondering if we can jump straight in. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do and how you got started? Uh, Well, in terms of my cognitive hypnotherapy career, it was actually walking past the Odd Fellows pub in Watford. I was walking past it on the way to the park and I thought to myself, I would really, really really like to try my hand at being a hypnotherapist. So by the time I came back from the park, I had already investigated what I considered to be charlatans and learn how to be a hypnotherapist in two days and I thought, oh no. Maybe hypnotherapy is not for me. And then I came across the Quest Institute uh, Cognitive Hypnotherapy Training from Trevor Sylvester. And I just knew intuitively, funnily funnily enough, Mm -hmm. that that was for me. And then two weeks later, the course was started and I was on it and I never looked back. Fantastic. And and going back a second, you're you're in the park, you're having a walk. What was it that that sort of directed your thoughts to, I'd quite like to do hypnotherapy? I have no idea. I had, well, actually, that's not strictly true. I had just finished uh, putting myself through the rigors of being an ops director in a big company. And I thought, no, that's not for me. I'm not going back to that. And at the time, I was actually studying thought field therapy because I was looking for something that uh, was ultimately going to help change people uh, for the better, obviously. And I knew that alone wasn't ever going to be enough. So that's why I was looking for something else. 
and I was interested in NLP uh, back in the day, back in the early 90s. I read a book in Glasgow Airport, strangely enough, and it sort of revisited me. And of course, with cognitive hypnotherapy, you're doing a variety of approaches, including NLP and hypnotherapy. And I thought this is for me. And it, it, it just it just came to me. I just thought hypnotherapy sounded a bit mysterious. I wasn't quite sure about what it really meant. Mm. Uh, but I thought, no, I definitely can't not do this in terms of investigating it. And the timing was perfect. And when you started studying uh, cognitive hypnotherapy, was hypnosis, this thing that we call hypnosis, was it what you thought it was? Not at all. My preconceptions were all swingy watchy, Alfred Hitchcock. Sorry, you, you, it's not that, is it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I've been labouring under a misapprehension. <laughs> no, no, I, I thought it was a bit mysterious, but I also knew that there was some therapeutic value, even for the traditional type of um, relaxation for no particular purpose mm. whatsoever. So I'm, I'm curious about this in terms of cognitive hypnotherapy, because... Uh, Many of my listeners will know that episode one of the whole podcast, I interviewed Trevor Sylvester, the founder of Cognitive Hypnotherapy and uh, the, the guy that created the, the Quest Institute. And we talked to him about Cognitive Hypnotherapy and, and what it was. But I'm curious actually to ask you, what, what do you tell people, clients who come and see you? What do you tell them that you're going to do? Well, they usually ask what cognitive hypnotherapy means, which uh, is quite a tough question to answer, you mm. know, on the telephone or whatever. But essentially, how I uh, describe it is it's using how you, the problem was created and the constituents and the elements that make up that problem to use these as the foundation for changing. So it's actually recognising that the the way that your problem occurred and how you acquired the knowledge of the problem, in addition to all the other elements, is the very thing that we're going to be using to dissemble it so that we're creating a new, a new situation. A wee bit like changing the recipe in a cake. For many of my listeners, they will know that I have a real thing around the fact that there are some misunderstandings out there about what therapy is. Uh, and that some of the common perceptions are that lasting personal change or results take a long time, that change needs to be about deep analysis or self-reflection, that reliving past trauma will somehow make your future better, or even understanding why you have a problem will somehow go make it go away. Are those things that you would agree with or disagree with? I think the only one that I partially agree with is the understanding of why. Because I think it doesn't make the problem go away, but I think bringing uh, into your conscious awareness and acknowledging the cause and effect, I think, can be very beneficial. Because whereas it might not be changing you at that point, it allows you to understand what the process has been for you to experience the problem the way that you experience mm -hmm. it. And it provides a good starting point. So certainly the way that you work... You would argue that, because there are some hypnotherapists uh, and practitioners out there that are looking for total, what we would call, unconscious change. They're not interested in engaging with the conscious mind at all. But actually that, that you experience real value in having having insight. I do. Uh, and also, um, certainly from 
the first session with me when I'm sitting with a client, by the end of that session, the feedback that I get from actually having gone through an explanation and, a, and an understanding of what it is that's happened, even although the problem still exists, actually has created some shift already because they can understand why it's happening. And understanding why it's happening and the mechanisms involved and how some of the interventions that we can do in NLP and, and a variety of other approaches um, means that you can then start to take control of the problem. And the idea that change can happen is cemented. I think it adds weight to the their own ability to change and change quickly because they can understand it, they know what's happening, and it just seems to be more in their control. So one way of looking at that, arguably, is that and I could be wrong in what you're saying, but it feels like you use conscious insight as a way of building a level of trust and rapport with the client. Oh, rapport absolutely is essential. But but for somebody to really engage with me and in my the my approach, they have to be in agreement. So you have to really get them to buy into it. And in addition to be get, getting the rapport and for that to happen, they've got to know not the ins and outs of it, but the the basic framework that you're going to be using so that they can see that even although they don't feel in control of the problem, to their unconscious, there is a logic to it. Mm-hmm. And I think that really helps them to understand that that logic that the unconscious is using is the logic that we're going to be using to change things. So what, what's the sort of framework that you use for dealing with, with, with someone? Do you have kind of a, a set framework re- for different conditions, different presenting issues, or have you kind of got a, a method of framework that you roll out regardless? I've got a, I've got a framework. Uh, the, how it evolves is different for every single person. But certainly the framework, the first the first stage of the framework is looking at the context of the problem, mm-hmm. how they know they have it, when it happens, just the, the normal stuff. Um, and also uh, what it is they want to achieve, how they would know the problem was gone. So the first session is very much about agreeing achievable outcomes and using the information that they've given me to explain what the cognitive hypnotherapy approach is and how their brain's actually creating sensations and the feelings and the emotions that they're getting in addition to dictating an awful lot of the behavior the unconscious behavior and also over time demonstrating how depending on what the situation is how beliefs and values and a sense of identity is created specifically to the issue that we're talking about so I think identity is already is a, is a fascinating area to look at. How, how much of the work you do, are you consciously looking at changing and working with them at an identity level? It really depends on what they're telling me and the information mm-hmm. that I'm getting. But I've certainly noticed just, just from my own experience that the earlier the cause of the issue that, that comes up take, that takes place, there's more of an identity issue connected mm. to that. Um, so depending on like when we're talking about memory and re- you know recalling memory, early memories, um, I certainly have noticed that I'll pay a, a lot of attention to the identity um, 
that's resulted because of that. So I'm I'm curious about the the cognitive hypnotherapy model. And one of the things that I've heard a lot of people say, certainly that work whenever they work under the title that includes the term hypnotherapy, um, some people will say, well, I do trance stuff because it meets the client's expectations. They're coming to see a hypnotist or a hypnotherapist after all. But my understanding is, is that you don't do that kind of formal, okay, now we've, we've spoken, we're going to do some close your eyes. No, I very rarely do that, actually. Certainly, depending on the age of the person that I'm seeing and their expectation, of if if they have got a really strongly held belief that hypnotherapy is the only thing that's mm. going to help them, I will obviously make suggestion in lots of other ways, but if that's the only thing that they, he- that they think is going to help, and I've tried everything that I can to introduce therapies that I think maybe would be a bit more beneficial for them or appropriate um, then at the end of the day it's me who has to get into their model of the world and if hypnotherapy works for them then why not I, th- I think I was also just interested it's to, do, do people have that preconception that you know when's the bit you're going to hypnotize me I think I think there is and I think there's also uh, rather than people being disappointed I think certainly for the for the first few sessions, they're they're quite relieved that you don't because it causes them a great deal of anxiety. Mm. But certainly in cognitive hypnotherapy, when you're doing suggestion, you're doing word weaving, and I generally do that at the end of an intervention or when they're lying in their bed at night, they're listening to a pre-recorded one that I've done, a bespoke word weaving suggestion pattern for them. So essentially it's through the use of questions in the session, establishing the context, the parameters of the problem. You're getting the the problem state to become, I don't say, a little wobblier. You're kind of loosening it up a little bit, uh, which can sometimes spontaneously shift it, and it's backed up with suggestions, word weaving, either at the end of the intervention or when they're at home listening to pre-recorded stuff. Mm-hmm. But the, but um, I don't know if I mentioned whilst you're not only you're doing the questions and getting context etc, mm. but the structure of the problem is really really important. Obviously, to identify or or help the client identify one of the ways that they know that they have a problem isn't just through the behaviour that they've noticed or the beliefs that they hold, or the things that they're not doing, but also how having this problem makes them feel, so that you can really use that. Uh, as a calibration for one thing, but get them to identify with that feeling so that they can really know, it can really help you with the context because they know what other uh, areas they feel the same way. So it really provides you with much more information. And I also use that as a hook, as if this is, if you you were to think about a a memory chain, Hmm. that these feelings that occur have happened over time and in situations connected to events that have happened to them in their lives. So even if they can't join the dots in one particular way, they're noticing that feeling and where they felt it or how they felt it or in what context before, I find can be really, really helpful for them to help join the dots together. Christine, I'm really curious about something that we've spoken about on a number of occasions, which is how how you specifically find the, the peace to change the piece that you know that you're going to work with and you've often used the phrase 
I, d- I don't know whether I should say it. Uh, I think maybe you should you should say it. Well, what is it for you when we've spoken about it? Or oh, hearing it, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I, I just hear it. I just hear the answer to the question given in such a way that it's different. It's if it, as if it's bookended and it's such an unconscious uh, spoken response that just sounds different. And it will be difficult for me to explain in mm. what way it's different, but it just stands out. If it was in color, it would be in red and everything else would be in blue. Because we've spoken about this and I've always been intrigued by that, whatever it is that goes on in your head at this moment. Because there's lots of stories of Ericsson and he would mark out things unconsciously and talk about the fact that he could pick up on unconscious shifts somehow. And it seems that you have intuitively some ability to pick out that little unconscious shift somehow. And the best you've ever come up with is it just sounds different. And I love that. Yeah. Um, and, And actually, I see it in front of the client. I heard that differently. And they don't even remember what they've said. Time, mm-hmm. yeah, more often than not, they don't. They just don't remember it because it's so unconscious. Can you give me an example of where perhaps you've you've been struggling with with a session, but then you've just heard it differently somehow, and it's it's been the unlocking of it all. I can remember seeing a young lady who had a fear of flying. It was quite interesting because when she was describing how she felt, uh, as previously discussed, talking about the emotion that she felt, quite simply, I asked her, when was the the first time you felt that way? So this was out with timeline. This was just Mm. a conversation. And she went back to a time um, when she had been sitting in a car and she said, and all I could see was the seat in front of me. And that was the bit that I heard differently. And when we did timeline uh, in a further on in the session, that was one of the things that she said was uh, a problem, mm. was actually having that visual of that seat in front of her because that's when she suffered travel sickness before. And for her, the meaning of being sick was the crushing embarrassment and uh, disruption that that was causing to the entire family. So it wasn't just her, it was everybody else that was involved as well. And you just heard it differently, this little bit that just kind of stuck out for you. It was the seat in front of me. And some part of you just went, ah. Well, actually, yeah. How cool. And that's happened quite a few times. Yeah. And I think it's funny because one of the things that I've I've always loved about the work that you do is that you have this very intuitive nature around that and it's a little bit of an enigma. And I love that, that you can just talk to someone and you just, just tune into that bit. Well, I think, uh, with all due respect to the Quest Institute and Trevor in particular, obviously, mm. that's what that's what the catchphrase is, if you like. It's making the difference that makes the difference and it's going for that bit that is going to be making the difference. So unconsciously for me, I think that's obviously the bit that I'm looking for as soon as you start a session. Because I often think that change can happen quickly, but it, it you need to find the right piece to change. 
otherwise. Oh, so it can take a while to get to the point at which you find the right piece, but once you've got the right piece, it's just, just slot it in. And I think uh, for me, if I'm not getting it as fast as I would like it, I'll have to really be aware of that and just have this expectation that you're, you are, it is going to come you are going to get the information. And I think the more, as a therapist, you, obviously, you're, you're, you're alert and you're aware of what's happening, but just to be able to relax enough so that that rapport can really happen unconsciously. Mm. Because if you're getting uptight thinking, just not getting the answer here is hopeless. So how long did it take you when you started working with real clients before you felt that you could have that sense of, okay, I can relax into it and, and trust that intuitive part of you to, to pick up on that stuff? It's a very good question. I don't know. Certainly for the last four or five years, I would say, hmm. um, I, I never specifically prepare for a, a session. Um, you just deal with what comes up at the time. Um, anytime I have prepared what I'm going to do <laughs> it never happens so it's just being able to just trust that the rapport that you have and the trust that the person has in you has in in you as the therapist is gonna that connection is gonna be the bit that's gonna make the difference so if there are people listening to this who are just starting out in their therapeutic intervention careers what advice would you have for them as they begin to see people, real, living, breathing clients? I think it's essentially, you can only do what you can do at the time. And as long as your motivation is, and your intention is behind helping that person in the best way that you can, in addition to keeping learning all the time, obviously, and not just thinking, well, I did that course then. I don't have to mm. actually learn anything else now. As long as your intention's good and you're in flow and this is really what it is you want to do with your time, whether that's in addition to a day job or not, is, is basically just relax into it as best you can and realize that yeah in 10 years time you're going to be an awful lot better than you are now but you're still good you're still worth seeing and if you take on some of the approaches that are like for instance I, I can't help but bang the drum for cognitive hypnotherapy mm. then you're using something that is really really helpful to somebody and has made such a huge difference to all the hundreds and hundreds thousands of people who have um, had cognitive hypnotherapy and seen the, the incredible change that can happen. Because of course, once you've done cognitive hypnotherapy basic training, you're, mm. obviously you're going to be doing NLP master practitioner, but there's other things, there's the confident childbirth, there's the sports performance, the smoking cessation, and you know, there, there are so many things that you can do to really, really enhance your expertise. Um, there's a cognitive hypnotherapist called Sharon who's really, really interested in chronic pain who really ignited a fire in me, which meant that I went to Australia and learned from the guys that were doing the research. And I'm fascinated Is it David by Butler? Butler and Mosley. Hmm. Or I think Mosley would say Mosley and Butler, but whichever way you look at it. And again, it's keeping up your learning and 
uh, and I think you're inspirational in that, Howard, because you're always learning new things. But it's it's basically just trusting that you can't worry about how skilled or how brilliant or the accolades that other therapists get. You need to practice and you need to just know that if your heart's in the right place and your intention is set and you're using best practice, then you are going to be making a difference and just keep doing it. What's your follow-up? process and getting feedback from making sure that the, the, the change that you do is kind of embedded in? Well, the framework that I do happens over about six weeks. Mm-hmm. And at the end, uh, in the, the final session with me, what we're really looking for is to tie up loose ends and be very clear on measuring the outcomes. Like, for instance, um, I always complete an anxiety, you know, the GADs, mm. or, you know, and you have the measurement of that and look at it at the end, but also look to see, well, look at these, these the achievable outcomes that we set in session one. Where are we with that? But obviously we'll have been doing that throughout the sessions because what I really hope is that these achievable outcomes that we started off with, they're old hat now. Let's set some new achievable outcomes that will really, really ensure that you are realizing your potential and self-sustaining your way to, to a new future. So we'll be using sort of evidence from the client themselves that they're actually achieving what it is they want to achieve. Fantastic. Um, on a slightly different note, could you tell us about a couple of case studies or times where you know, you've witnessed stuff and it's just it's also blown your mind? You just thought, wow. That is cool. Well, one of the ones that I always remember is an elderly gentleman came to see me because he was worried he was developing Alzheimer's or something that would mean that he was losing his faculties. And when just just asking him a few questions, what had happened? Would he, he had been reading an article about Alzheimer's. And as we all know, it's not what happens, it's the meaning of what happens. Mm-hmm. And when he read this article, what that meant to him was that his wife wouldn't know that he loved him, that he loved her. And for him, that was a huge thing, and he just could not let that go. And uh, I had to go around the houses a wee bit because timeline reframing, reprocessing wasn't exactly working. So we did this, and I don't know how this happened, but the, the emotion that he felt, I asked him if he could move it. And he felt it in his abdomen, and he said, yes, he could move it. And I said, right, okay. So if you were to move it outside your body, where would you move it to? And he brought it out in front of him. And I clapped my hands in the space where the feeling was. I said, so tell me what's happened to the feeling now. He said, it's gone. Actually, that's not strictly true. I primed him first and asked him what would happen Mm -hmm. if he didn't get the feeling. Would the problem be gone? Yeah. And he said, yes. So we moved it. I clapped my hands. I've tried that subsequently and it hasn't worked, I have to say. But mm. with him, it absolutely did. And even I was shocked, <laughs> <laughs> to admit. But mm. that's, that's... That, was a, that was very interesting. Mm. Are there any books that you would recommend if you were starting out or someone, again, is new to change work, they're just starting out working with people, books you'd recommend that when you read kind of influenced you change the way you work 
well, obviously, you've got to bang the drum for Trevor Sylvester. Well, of and course, and I'm happy to do that. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and certainly if you do the course, you, you get them FOC. Um, the, let me just think, the user illusion okay. is another one. Who's that by? Do you remember? Oh, a, a name I can't pronounce, Nora Trangs or something like that. Yeah. Obviously, Expectation. Um, by Bettino. By Bettino. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I love all the pain stuff. So, Mosley and Butler's Explained Pain. And they've got Unexplained Pain Supercharged, which is a bit of a read, I have to admit. Um there are so many books I've read and there's just nuggets in lots of them that, you know, there's just too many to, to recall. What do you see as the important aspects to creating change that lasts? Um, binds, essentially. Okay. Just asking if this were to change, what difference would that make to you and where would that, how would that help you in the future? So it's actually just, essentially, it's session one, you're... <laughs> you're obviously committing yourself to making that change happen with the client <laughs> obviously um, but again through expectation and rapport as already described but it's it's saying what basically doing future pacing and logical levels mm-hmm. very early on with the problem gone how would that be and cementing that with word weaving and suggestion that they keep listening to um so it's actually looking for, and obviously goal setting as well. Where are you going to be in three months, 12 months? Uh, but doing logical levels alignment hmm. is par for the course, really. Do you ever set homework for people? I do. In terms of um, giving them tasks to do outside of the, the therapy room, as it were. Mm-hmm, I do. So what, what's, what, what's the role for you of setting activities or homework? It depends what's coming up Mm -hmm. and it depends about noticing things. It just, it really, really depends on the individual problem. But if somebody's done change work, for instance, and using the emotion that they feel, I think one of the interesting things that I've noticed is that when they come back and say, yeah, but the feelings come back. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love exploring that. And when you explore that and frame it in such a way that the rec- that the when the limiting beliefs have gone or, or have been uh, changed is that they recognize that that feeling is can become helpful to them then because this is no longer a bad thing this is actually becoming a good thing within the new framework mm-hmm. and that thing that they had framed before as being the limiting bad thing associated with um, behaviours that don't Mm. lead them to where they want to go. It's actually saying it's because you're not doing that behaviour that that you're getting the feeling, but that's no longer acceptable to you. So it's actually getting them motivated to when you get the feeling, this is what I do. Christine, is there anything that when we talked about coming on and talking about rapid change that you thought would come up um, that would be useful to share? I don't think I talked about eye movement integration Mm. at all. And now that I've had a chance just to have a wee think about it in my head, that was a course that I did, must have been five years ago. And it is a fantastic thing to have in your toolkit. Uh, It can 
change structure it can it, it can create structural change very very quickly and it is so satisfying to see it particularly with somebody who has had who've been walking around with really really uh, negative horrible emotion um, for a whole variety of things mm. uh, from sexual abuse to oh anything that you care to mention but to see the pain in somebody's face just melt away in front of your eyes is amazing Christine if people want to get in touch with you uh, and have questions comments thoughts uh, about the stuff we're discussing where can they go how can they get in touch well my email address is info at christineblack.net or if you want to phone me it's 077885453125 well listen thank you so much for coming and uh, I say for coming I came to you today um, yes, but in yes, my changing room. In your changing room, which is a lovely facility indeed. Um, but yeah, thank you so much on behalf of myself, on behalf of my listeners. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Um, and I hope they've enjoyed it as much as I have. And I always find it fascinating talking to you, hearing about the stories, um, and hearing about the way your intuitions about all this work. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, why not share it with anyone you think might be interested? And even head over to iTunes to give us a glowing review. You'll find more about what's coming up on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash rapid change works. And of course, you'll find all the links related to this episode, plus those free five steps to getting your suggestions to sizzle over at rapidchange.works.